0: Man, it is good to be here to worship with you and and what a great job Matthew and the worship team do in leading us into the presence of the Lord as we sing. Today we're going to continue our study of the Gospel of John. If you've been following along, we're in the midst of Jesus's final address to his disciples. It is uh, kind of Jesus's last words on Jesus's last night, And we're right in the middle of that. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 contain uh, that full address. And then uh, we're in the middle of it in John chapter 15, uh, the end of John chapter 15, beginning with verse 18. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there as I begin. Uh, I read a story just earlier today as I was uh, going back and finding some more recent stories like this. Uh, One day, a female guerrilla fighter stopped by Roshio's house and Rashio shared the gospel with her. Rashio was a young mother, uh, young husband, and, and a couple children. She said, the Lord is waiting for you, she told the woman and handed her a New Testament. A few weeks later, Rashio was shot to death on her doorstep by members of FARC in retaliation for her witness to the young guerrilla fighter. The road to her village had been heavily mined and by, guarded by guerrillas so no emergency vehicles could respond to her. Her husband and her children could only watch her die. Understanding the risk, she and her family chose to live and to share the gospel in a dangerous dangerous area of Colombia, because they took Jesus' great commission seriously. Though it cost her her life, her Christian witness amid, amid Marxist oppression and violence was worthy of Christ and advanced his kingdom. That's a story of simple hatred for a young mother who loved the Lord and wanted to share her faith. The the passage that we're going to be looking at today is, is you know, it's not one of the most exciting or fun things to preach. The very first verse we're going to look at in John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus looks his disciples in the eyes and says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So, here in this, the, the gospel where we, we hear so much of Jesus's Calling us to love one another, Jesus's words to the disciples to love each other, to love to love those who don't even know Him. In, in fact, John chapter fourteen and fifteen, you, you have this whole progression of Jesus said, you know, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples when you love each other. In John chapter fifteen, he says you have to love me, abide in my love, abide in me, and then he makes this transition and this very stark pivot where he goes from uh, John chapter fifteen verse 17 where he tells the disciples this is what I command you to love one another but the world's going to hate you all of a sudden what seemed to be this gospel and this story and this this picture of love is turned on his head as a reminder of how the world is going to relate to us as disciples of Jesus Christ There were two different directions that I I considered going with outlining this text. The first one would be to outline the text from our perspective. How do we relate to the world? Because in reality, what we've talked about is the first section of John chapter 15, Jesus was teaching us about how we ought to relate to him, our relationship to he and the Father. In the middle of John chapter 15, we looked at last week, he was talking about how we ought to relate to one another as believers, fellow disciples. The last third of John chapter 15, deals with how we relate to the world. And so, if I was to outline the the passage that way, I would suggest that as believers in Christ, we need to understand that there's going to be separation between us and the world. We are different. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, your life is going to be different, and you're going to live a separate kind of life. You're not going to live like all the rest in the world. Second, You're going to live in opposition. The world is going to be opposed to what you're doing. And third, you're going to be a witness bearer. Your job is going to be to just simply share your faith in Christ. I chose to go a different direction with the outline because Jesus did. Instead of here talking about how the disciples were going to relate to the world, Jesus talked about how the world was going to relate to the disciples, okay? And so here he's going to tell us what the rest of the world thinks about us as his followers. How, how is the world going to respond to us? Now, I want you to understand when he uses the term world here, the, the Greek word is cosmos, which is kind of strange because we think of that as being, you know, all of the, the stars and the galaxies and everything that's out there in the cosmos. But when John uses the, that that word for world, he's talking about every person and every entity that has not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Christ, everyone else who is not following Christ is outside of that, and John's referring to them as the world. In particular, in this text, in John chapter 15, he's speaking specifically to Jewish religious people. And and the reason I know that is because what he tells us in the last verse that we're going to read, or verse 25. Let's go ahead and read it. We'll get the text out before you, and then we'll continue. The Scripture says in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they had kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had, come and, uh, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also if i had not done among them the works which no one else did they would have no sin but now they have been seen and also hated both they have they have now seen and hated both me and my father but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law that they hated me without a cause but when the helper comes whom i shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he'll testify of me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning and you see that in verse 25 Jesus specifically is talking about religious Jewish leaders, religious Jewish people here, because he tells us that they're going to hate you. And, and, and the reason they're going to hate you is because, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's an indicator that, that not only is he talking about all that are out there who are not following under the, the, the discipleship or the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, here he's talking about religious people. Do you recognize that sometimes religious people, oh yeah, you know this, religious people can be the most hateful, cruel, horrible people on earth because they believe they're following some type of divine calling. In, in, In their religious expression, they'll do seemingly ungodly things. On July the 16th of 1651 in Massachusetts, in the colony of Massachusetts, John Clark, along with an assistant pastor, Obadiah Holmes, and layman John Randall, who were members of a church in Rhode Island, made a pastoral visit to an elderly man who was going blind who was in Massachusetts uh, named William Witter. Uh, He was probably a member of their church in Newport, Newport, And and yet, because they came to his home, Clark apparently preached in that private residence. Several neighbors came together to hear his preaching. They were arrested, transferred to the Boston court, tried and duly condemned, and sentenced to be fined and publicly whipped. Why? Because they were Baptist, and they were preaching in a non-Baptist colony. Sometimes those who claim religion can be the most ungodly, cruel people in the world. Just, the, just because you claim religion, and we've seen this all through the Gospel of John, just because you say that you're religious, or even that you say that you're a Christian, does not make you a Christian. Just because you sit in a church doesn't make you a Christian. If you have surrendered your heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and committed to follow him, then you become one of his children. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But oftentimes, here, the, the, the religious followers of Yahweh, of Jehovah God, are the ones that, that Jesus is saying, they hate me, and they're going to hate you. Paul found that out. Most of the time when he went from town to town on his mission trips, it wasn't the the ungodly Gentiles out there who were throwing rocks at him and trying to have him in prison. It was the Jewish leaders in those towns. It was the people of the synagogues who were coming after him. It was the religious who claimed to follow the same God, and they just didn't accept Jesus. There was something about that name of Jesus that created this division and separation and so, as we walk through this text, i want to look at, at three different sections. The first one is this. The world is going to hate us as believers, as followers of Christ, simply because they hate Jesus. They hate what he stands for. Jesus said that very clearly in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The world is going to hate us. It's going to hate true believers and followers of Jesus Christ simply because we claim that Jesus is Lord. A young man in Somalia named Mansour Muhammad, he was an aid worker. He received Jesus as his Savior in 2006 militants from the Al-Shabaab group captured him two years later in 2008, paraded him before the villagers who had gathered at the insistence of this military group. The military leaders began to recite from the Quran, accusing Muhammad of apostasy. A witness said Muhammad remained composed, never uttering a word, as his captors yelled, Alu Akbar, and then beheaded him. Some say the video of his death was circulated widely to help prevent other Muslims from converting to Christianity. Once again, simply the fact that he had professed Christ as his Lord and Savior cost him his head. And we're not talking about martyrs from 2,000 years ago. Of these 11 disciples, 10 of them, we know were martyred for their faith. Ten out of the eleven. John is the only one who wasn't. But history tells us that they tried to kill him a couple times, and then banished him. Out of these eleven that Jesus is telling this to, ten of them gave up their lives before they would give up Jesus. The world hated them simply because they professed Jesus as Savior. That this is not new. <laughs> it's still going on. It's happening today. It was happening in in the 1900s, in the 1800s, in the 1700s. Martyrdom and sacrifice simply because someone claimed Jesus is Lord. The world will hate us simply because we claim the name of Christ. It's going to be natural. And so Jesus says expect it. Don't expect anything different. If you truly are going to follow me, expect it. I want to ask you something. Just I, I struggle with this. When you're, when you're around your friends, maybe people that aren't believers or, or you're hanging out uh, with somebody out in the public marketplace, it's not difficult for us to talk about the weather, is it? In fact, we'll even sometimes talk about politics. And, and we can disagree about politics. We can argue about politics. And, and I find it not too difficult oftentimes to bring up God, or talk about the man upstairs, or talk about uh, uh, you know a heavenly father, but you know what I find oftentimes very difficult is to enter into the bring into the conversation the name Jesus Christ. I confess that to you as a pastor, because there's something about the spirit that resides in the world and the spirit that resides in me that they conflict, and those that don't know Christ, those that hate. Jesus. Don't want to hear that name spoken. You can go, you can you, you can shut down a conversation simply by mentioning the name of Jesus Christ. He is hated by those of this world that are in darkness. There's a couple reasons for it, and that's what Jesus gives us next. The world hates us, and they hate Jesus because we are different. We as Christians have a different origin. Notice what Jesus tells the the Jewish leaders, these that he's talking about here, in John chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. He says, you are from below, I am from above. You're from this world, and I'm not from this world. Therefore I told you that you'll die in your sins if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus told the Jewish leadership, these very religious people, you're from below and I'm from above. What makes the difference? Why is it then, okay, so I can see why they're going to hate Jesus. Jesus has a different origin. He came from above. But Jesus tells us that when you profess me as Lord and Savior, you are born from above. In fact, some of the places that are actually translated born again are mistranslated. The word actually means born from above. That you are, you have a new origin. Colossians chapter one says that when you put your faith in Christ as Savior, God transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have a new origin. You have a new birth. You once were born of this world, but now you've been born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that, that's the key to entering into the kingdom of God. You once were, you've been born of this world, but if you're not born from above, if you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus here says that they're gonna hate you because you're, you have a different origin. You come from a different place than they come from. You're rooted in a different world. That's the second thing that I want you to see here. Not only is there a different origin, we live in different worlds. That Colossians 1 reference says we're taken out of one world, we're taken out of this world, and we're placed in a different world. We're taken out of the kingdom of this world, we're put into the kingdom of, of God. We live in a time where on the face of this earth, there's two different kingdoms that are in residence. There are two different kingdoms in existence on the face of this earth. When you read through, through the Old Testament, you read through Scripture from the fall of Adam and Eve when they sinned against God, the, the, they, they brought death into this world. And this age, you'll see a reference oftentimes in Scripture to this age or the age of the world, uh, and this age is still in existence. There's going to come a time when this world as we know it comes to an end, okay? This age is going to end. But there's a kingdom age that has already been launched. When Jesus came to, to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, that, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what happened? When Jesus stepped on this earth, he launched a new kingdom. And the kingdom of God exists wherever the spirit of God reigns. And so right now on this earth, now I'm going to get a little theological here with you when you get into the, the, a lot of studies on eschatology. Some people would say that the kingdom age began when Jesus was born. The Son of God was made incarnate on the earth. Others will say that the kingdom age began when Jesus launched his ministry. That's when John said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Some would say that the kingdom age began when Jesus rose again, victorious over death. Others will say that it was when he ascended to heaven. You know what? It doesn't matter to us because we're past that. Where we are right now, we are living in the overlap of this age, the, the, the world that's going to end, and a kingdom age, the world that's already begun from the time of Jesus and will last forever. And we are a part, though we're living on the same planet with people who are destined to die, we are a part of a kingdom that will never end. And so we are a part Of a different world if we truly are walking in a faith relationship with jesus christ we're living in a different world we've been transformed transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and so not only are we have a different origin we have a different residence okay and we also have a different hope and that's one of the things that is so difficult as a chaplain as i serve in the chaplaincy program in the ministry here for for watauga police department Oftentimes I step into homes where usually it's where somebody has just passed away and they're struggling with grief. Every single home that I go into where a loved one has passed away, there is grief, okay? It doesn't matter what level of faith, what background somebody has, there is a measure of grief. But for those who know Christ as Savior, the grief is different. They grieve, but... But those who know Christ grieve as those who have hope. If you you step into a home or meet with a family where they have no hope or they're unsure, it's a different measure of grief. There's a lot of things that I can face in this world, and I can face with with a sense of confidence because I have hope. When my daughter Katie passed away, July the 1st of 2004 at the age of 14 years and 11 months. It was excruciatingly painful, but it was not the end because I'll see her again. And so we grieve, but we grieve with hope because Jesus died and he rose again. And so we, we not only come from a different origin, we live in a different world, we also have a different hope. And those in the world who don't have that hope cannot and will not understand the confidence that you can have in the face of excruciating pain, even the confidence that a martyr can have when they, they stand silent before the mockers who just say, just deny Christ as Lord and, and you'll save your life. And they refuse to do it as their head's cut off because their hope is not in this world. Their hope is in another world. That's where my hope is. That's where I pray your hope is. But also, fourth, the world hates us because we have a different spirit. There will be times if you, if you are walking in a close relationship with Christ the Spirit of God it dwells within you. Sometimes people will know that. They'll see it on your countenance. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll know it from your words, but they'll know it from your presence. They'll know it from your smile. You don't have to be a preacher. If you're just walking with Jesus, people will know it. I, I love the passage in, in Acts where John and, and Peter had, had come before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was, was getting after them. They would healed a guy who was lame, and uh, then they started preaching Jesus, so they threw him in jail. They were, the, the Sanhedrin was mad at them. They bring him out. And, and they, as they're talking about these two guys, they, they knew that they weren't educated people, but they knew that there was something different about them. The Scripture says they, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I pray that everywhere I go, people recognize that I have been with Jesus. Because here's what will happen. When you have walked in a relationship with Christ, the spirit that is in you will be so evident that people of the world that have a different spirit won't like you. <laughs> it will disturb their spirit sometimes. Just, you don't, sometimes you don't have to say a word and it disturbs their spirit. I told the story of the the young man from last week who had uh, come and talked to me last Thursday and and he prayed to receive Christ. And I told you why he came and talked to me because Wednesday, I'd seen him parked out in the parking lot, went out there to visit with him and just talked to him. I didn't share the gospel with him, I just talked to him. I introduced myself, said, you know, we'd like to do anything we could to help you. And I left it at that. Thursday, when he came around to meet Matthew and I, and he saw us there, he said, when you came to talk to me yesterday, something in my spirit was disturbed. The spirit, and and what I told him, I said, well, I just preached about that from John. (laughs) John tells us that if you're a, a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Christ, that he will send his spirit to be in you and be with you. And so what you sensed was not anything good about me. You sensed the Holy Spirit of God and because you have, he told me that he was not ready to follow Christ. He wasn't ready to to pray to receive Christ. And he'd already told me that. So, I said, because you aren't a follower of Christ and you have denied following Christ, the spirit that is in you doesn't agree with the spirit that's in me. And it's just that simple. The spirit of a holy God causes those who are unholy or those who are not of God to recoil oftentimes, especially because the Spirit of God is, is different than the Spirit of the world. And sometimes you can, some of you as believers, you can simply walk into a room and know you're in the wrong place, can't you? There's something about the presence of a Spirit there that you don't belong well, oftentimes those who are lost feel that same thing. So, the world will hate us because we're different. We come from a different place. We live in a different world. We have a different hope and a future, but we have a different spirit that dwells within us. And then the Scripture also says that they'll hate us because they've been judged by Christ. Not that you have to be judgmental. In fact… In all honesty, you and I don't have to be judgmental. All we have to do is point to Jesus and let the Spirit do his work. There in verse 22, Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they'd have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And he goes on to say in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and hated and also hated both me and my Father. Jesus exposes sin. When Jesus stepped into the world, in the the prologue or the introduction to John, to this, this gospel, John writes that Jesus came as a light into the world, and that light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not stomp it out. And so what happens is when Jesus comes into a conversation, when Jesus comes into somebody's life, their sin and their lostness is exposed. Here's the struggle that you and I have. Sometimes when we get away from God, we don't want to come to church. We don't want to hear gospel preaching. We don't mind preaching that tickles the ears, but we don't want to hear the gospel preached because what will happen is Christ in his spirit will point out the sin in our life. He'll expose us for who we really are, and it makes us uncomfortable. Well, if that makes a believer uncomfortable to have our sin exposed, imagine how how uncomfortable the world is when their sin is exposed. If you don't believe me, I'm not going to recommend that you actually do this, but but if you want to test it, go find a religious discussion on Facebook or on Twitter and bring up Jesus and talk about how Jesus condemns their sin. You'll just light a dumpster fire. It, the, the Facebook and Twitter is not a good place to do that. Okay, so I'm not I'm not telling you to go do that, but the reason is Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus exposes us for our sin. And and you can't hide when the light shines on on your sin. In fact, Everybody knows John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. The verses that immediately come after that, I absolutely love because it speaks directly to this. In verse 18, it says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Pack that one away because we're going to talk about it in a moment. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than their light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds might be clearly seen that they have been done by God. So yes, Jesus exposes our sin. And Jesus says in this text, first by his presence and then by his teaching, it, just by his very presence on this earth, by his incarnation, the very fact that the God of the universe stepped out of heaven and stepped down on this earth to give us hope and life exposed our sin. He walked among us sinlessly and gave up his life sacrificially. going will stir up a bunch of, of uh, Christian leaders, talk to them about sacrificially loving one another We'll start arguing about our rights. We don't have any rights. What rights did Jesus claim when he went to the cross to die for you and me? Jesus's presence exposes our sin, but Jesus's teaching even more so. Jesus taught clearly what was important, what mattered, and not just our actions but matters of the heart. That's why Jesus said things like, look, I, I know that, that the literal word of God says, you know, you should not kill your brother. But I tell you that if you have hatred in your heart that says you want to kill your brother, you've killed him already. You've committed the sin in your heart, right? I know that, that, that literally the Old Testament, literally it says you should, not, uh, you should not commit adultery. But if you lust after somebody That's not your spouse. You've already committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus took it to another level and spoke truth to to our hearts and exposed the sin, not just the sin of our actions, but the sin of our hearts. So Jesus' presence and Jesus' teaching exposed sin, and we don't like to have our sin exposed. We'll recoil from that. But Jesus, the world also hates Christ, and it is seen in the evidence that he... That they rejected his great works. Jesus said this, he who, he said, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Why? In verse 24, He goes on to say, because the works which I have done that no one else did. Now, Jesus right there may have been talking about the work that he did just a few weeks before where he raised Lazarus from the dead. Nobody had ever done that. Lazarus had been in the grave four days. And Jesus came and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave wrapped up like a mummy. Nobody had ever done anything like that before. There was a a belief that somebody might be dead for three days and come back to life, but never on the fourth day. And he rose Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day. But the greatest work of Christ, and, and what happened, remember? And we, we looked at this several weeks back. What happened was, was a lot of people believed, oh my goodness, he's, he's done this incredible work. He's got to be from God. And others looked at it and go, well, we got to kill him now. He's out there raising dead people. They still wouldn't believe that he was who he said he was. But his greatest work was yet to be done. He's telling the disciples this on Friday night. It's after dark. It's probably getting close to midnight as they're walking out toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is going to be arrested before sun rises. He's going to be dead by around mid-afternoon, at least by 3 o'clock, maybe around noon. So he, he is only, he's got about 15, 25, or 20 hours or so. I've got to do my, my math better. 21 hours left on this earth at the most. Not even that much. Jesus is about to die. But his greatest work had not been accomplished yet because the greatest work was going to come just three days later when he's going to himself be resurrected from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And those who refuse to accept the greatest work of Christ will stand condemned not because just of, of, of their own sin but their refusal to accept Jesus. See, God has given us a way out. God has offered us a gift of eternal life, and that gift comes through Jesus Christ. And so to reject the work of Christ, to reject the resurrection of Christ, to reject his death on the cross where he sacrificially paid for your sin and my sin, to reject Jesus is the ultimate rejection of God. You cannot say, well, I'm a a good person, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a godly person, and reject Jesus. Jesus. One of the most curious things that I've seen is, is there's more than once, in fact, several times I've seen people who claim to be agnostic or atheist or, or in some other way anti-Christian, and they decided that they were going to disprove Christianity by setting out as a lawyer would or a historian would to look into the, the claims of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus because if they could prove that the resurrection did not happen... Then they could prove, they could pull the the foundation out from under Christianity. Many, many times, men who have set out to do just that have come to, to the conviction that the resurrection did happen, and that if the resurrection did happen, the greatest work that Jesus could ever accomplish, if the resurrection happened, everything else must be true. And they've become some of the staunchest apologists arguing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you reject the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, you reject God. And that, that rejection, not your sin, is what condemns you to an eternity separated from God. The fact that God offered you a gift and you said, I don't believe or no. See, the world hates Jesus because he judges us for our sin. The very, your, your very eternity, <laughs> my very eternity depends not on how good I am, whether or not I've sinned or not. That's a given. Every single one of us has sinned against God. Every single one of us hates to have our sin exposed. So the, the difference between those who follow Christ and have a different hope and a different future is not whether or not we have sinned or how egregious we've sinned. More sin doesn't, doesn't disqualify you from, from heaven any more than one sin does. If, if you have sinned against God, if you have sinned in your life, and every single one of us has, scripture's clear about that, we're separated from God. So the 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 difference is whether or not you're going to believe and accept the claims of Christ. Those who rejected the claims of Christ hated him because he exposed them for who they were. They were very religious, but they were also very lost. And far too many of our churches are filled with people who are very religious, but very lost. The difference is not whether or not we've sinned, or whether or not we're religious, the difference is whether or not we've surrendered our hearts and lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to confess him as our Savior and and seek to follow him. Well, that's going to be my my challenge for you today. If, if you are online or you're new here, or, or maybe you've been coming for a long time and you say, Pastor, I have never committed my life to follow Jesus as Savior. Maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've gone to church on and off throughout your life. Maybe you've gone to church regularly, but you've never committed yourself to him, to surrender your heart and life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to challenge you to come and talk to me, or Kevin, or, or Nathan will be up here. And, and we'd love to share with you what God's Word says of how you can profess Christ as your Savior. We had two this morning that made a public profession of their faith through baptism. So I'm going to encourage you, if you've never chosen to follow Christ, you've never been baptized, come talk to one of us. But I want to encourage you one other way, church. And that is oftentimes we get very frustrated and upset when we see the world starting to go the other direction, as though they hate Christians. That should not surprise us. It's not new. You know what? Even in the United States of America, we all we, we talk about the motto. You know, we're a Christian nation. Or even our money says "In God We Trust." You know that motto was not even a motto of the United States until the 1950s. Our nation has been like every other country in the world. There's been ebbs and flows. There's sometimes when Christianity is in, there's sometimes it is out. It ought not surprise you that the world hates you for your faith. The challenge is not to make the world like you. The challenge is to take a stand for the truth of God's Word, to teach and to preach God's Word, to be a witness for God's Word, as he says down in verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit was going to come that we might bear witness to him, to be a witness for God, And then let the chips fall where they may, because the world will not like you when you take a stand for Jesus."